and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And my name is Jeff Milo. Joining me on the podcast today is Vincent James Perone, writer, musician, just overall creative person, bit of a renaissance uh, person, I would say, indeed, uh, who's has his hands in music and songwriting and arranging and recording and scoring films and visual art. Also moderates a, a, a writer's group, works in a bookstore. So anything creative, whether it is, I guess, specifically musical or literary, Vincent James Perone is uh, immersed in, in, the, in those worlds, in both of those worlds. And we're talking about two of Vincent's books specifically today, Collections of Poetry, the full-length book of poetry, Starving Romantic, which came out on 11.11 Press about three years ago, and the very recent uh, micro-chap book, Travelogue for the Dispossessed, which came out on Ghost City Press over the summertime. But along with that, Vincent James Brown is an award-winning writer, uh, as I said, editor to musician. He's a contributor to the uh, Collective Voices in the Expanding Field, which uh, came out about a year ago, also on 1111 Press. And as I said, co-founder of a writer's group, the 51 West Warren Writers Group. But besides writing, Vincent also composes and performs music with the groups Lacon and Glenn Court. Uh, Glenn Court just released some new music, actually, so I'd highly recommend that. It's in the experimental electronic realm. And he's also a member of the collectively owned bookstore, Book Suey and Hamtramck, which we talk about near the end of our discussion. But we're here today to talk about Vincent's singular voice, signature style of poetry, his just his history in using words to express himself, whether that's through songwriting or poetry. And we start off talking about what else but words, the words of the poems in Starving Romantic. So this is my chat with Vincent James Perone, the poet behind the recently released travelogue for the dispossessed. I am blown away by uh, what is it? Your 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 lexicon, your diction, your phraseology, your your choice of words. It as I read your works, uh, I I almost wonder if you are laborious when you are finding finding your words. I wonder if that's a question that poets get a lot. Do your poems happen very fast, or do they take a long time? You just seem to be someone who really appreciates the music of the language can you can you talk about that and how and i guess also how you just got into writing big question to start <laughs> yeah maybe i should tackle the, the second part of the question before the first sure but i was you know exposed to, to to writing and specifically poetry obviously like first first through music as, as everyone does for the most part but i think when i i really started taking poetry as a medium seriously you know, in high school was, uh, I was involved with, uh, with like a local slam poetry team actually. Cool. So this was when, when that was a, a formidable, uh, culture it was a, a thing. around. It was a thing. Yeah. And it was, you know, there's something very interesting about slam in that a, a lot of contemporary poetry is written for the page and, and slam has the oratory aspect of it. It has some other aspects of it that can kind of complicate the medium, but mm -hmm. I think coming to poetry from slam gave me 
both an idea of like audience uh, as like to who, whom I'm addressing poems to and not to say that, I, you know, I write with a, a particular audience in mind, but sometimes the image becomes clearer as mm-hmm. the poem goes along. But it also gave me, a, a, I think, an ear a, a, a little bit. Hearing your own words spoken aloud can help writing immensely, really any kind of writing, but with poetry, um, it allows the musicality of the lines and the language to come through. Tell me about finding all those right words. Tell me about uh, <laughs> how long it takes and and, and not, not that we would say, oh, it must be so torturous to compose poetry. I imagine it, there must be some fulfillment in there too, but uh, something about about your, your use of the language really strikes me. I find it very interesting. Yeah, I guess it's it, there is labor involved. You know, I, I think most creative acts involve work, um, but, you know, fulfilling work, non-alienating work, you know, the kind of work that uh, humans typically like to do. <laughs> I guess, you know, the, some of the poems in Starving Romantic took probably like eight years before they were finished. Now, it's not it as though... It feels I'm... like it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're it's beautiful. Not as though I was They're beautiful, on. but they are <laughs> intense. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not as though I was working on them every day for, for eight years necessarily. Things take time and they gestate and they come into their own or they change shape. And, you know, that's that's the really interesting thing I find uh, about poetry as a medium is that there's a lot of surprises. I think when when working on prose, at least I'm a little bit more reserved in terms of like, well, I have a structure, I have a character, I have sort of, you know, these these pathways in which the story can take its, its own route, which... Mm-hmm can go any which way I don't necessarily plan for, for where it goes. But I think with poetry, you know, I, I'll, I'll come back to a poem and reread it and, and there'll be a single image or a single line that is now the focal point of my attention. And now things are going to branch off of that. I want to stay on your, on your poetry first, and then we'll go back to, to more your, your, your backstory. But uh, it, you, your work got me thinking of the, I guess the lens of the writer, the lens of the, the narrator, not that, not that this is cinematic or that you have a camera. I guess your point of view, you know, I, I started thinking of how, you know, a lot of the classic poets, uh, you can kind of deduce where they are when they're composing it. Obviously, we know Emily Dickinson, brilliant as she was, is kind of stowed away upstairs in her little room. And we know that Bukowski is up at 2 a.m. smoking and drinking and just, you know, probably wallowing around in the gutter. But you're, you like, t- you tend to focus in real close on small items. Sometimes it's just right into the dirt of the soil in the garden, or it's flower petals in the doctor's waiting room. It, sometimes it's, uh, it's a bit sur- surreal. I don't know if it, I don't know if even that's the right word, but can you talk about how you compose a poem specifically on the decisions you make of that that point of view because sometimes we know where you are and, and sometimes it's almost sometimes it's almost ephemeral i don't know i'm just rambling what do you think about that Vincent? <laughs> no i i think you're you're really right to uh focus on 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 those aspects of these poems because i do for me i guess it's important to say for me i i obviously have conscious thoughts about things that i want to write throughout the day mm-hmm. you know walking around seeing a thing having a thought um, if I'm lucky, I'll, I'll, I'll write these things down if I'm, if I'm smart or if I, you know, think to pull out my phone and, or a notebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. But quite frequently when I sit down to, to write a poem, it's, I don't, I don't really come in with like a preconceived notion of like what it should be. 
I mean, there's obviously like the, what is it, the, the odd in quote of like, you know, poetry does nothing or, you know, there's the, the idea of like, it's kind of, this is like the, the war of, of, of poets versus fiction writers, but it's like fiction is about something. Poetry is something. <laughs> and, um, you know, while that's kind of a, a silly sort of pretentious uh, quote, there's something to it in the sense of like, uh, I don't sit down with an agenda when I write a poem. I mean, subconsciously, obviously there are things that are going on, but for me, it, it really does start like with the language and it most frequently imagistically, most frequently I wanna uh, capture uh, something in my mind's eye that then usually tangential, like moves out tangentially. Mm -hmm. Like uh, it is all very much like a branching roots way of composition do you think it you are responding sometimes almost impulsively if you maybe find like a tiny artifact that is of personal weight that you almost forgot about and it triggers memories and the memories flood and then that becomes a poem is it uh responsive in that kind of way yeah i'd like i think it is when it's at its best you know i think that's that's the the goal of of, of most art is to be you know, responsive without being reactive or reactionary. Sure. Um, I think there needs to be, uh, I think that's the initial part of like the communicative process of art, you know, where it's something perhaps communicating to the, to the author, to the artist, them transmogrifying these ideas, sitting with them and then communicating it back. Maybe that's where some of the sort of surrealness or I, sometimes I think of it as like hyper realness because it's hyper focused on on specificity. I think maybe that's where some of it comes from is this sort of back and forth mirroring of, of the real world and then having it kind of being uh, taken in and, and made more ephemeral and then reflected back. I guess there's a word for for or there's a there's a phrase you know when you're like at the at the at the barbershop or or something and there's two mirrors facing each other and mm -hmm. you get that that infinite reflection, the drop drost effect. I think it's called, I don't know. I, it'll make it into a poem. Exactly. Tell me about also this other decision. And I, I have to imagine with your background of writers, groups, bookstore, uh, a literary review, you've, you've probably had these conversations uh, that I guess for the pedestrian poetry reader, someone who just maybe takes a collection out every once in a while or picks one up every once in a while, they can be maybe a bit extra sensitive to tone and mood. And for a great amount of Starving Romantic and to an extent Travelogue for the Dispossessed, tone and mood tends to be tense, taut, remorseful, regretful, even hard on oneself, uh, unflinching. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not exactly Walt Whitman's song of myself, I'm in love with nature. It's not exactly, you know, Poe, having a fun with rhythm and Annabelle Lee, you know, this is, this can be a little bit of that rough stuff and, and tell me about going there. Tell me about having the courage gumption. I don't know what it is to go there and, and know that your reading audience is going to go there with you. What that, I guess what that feels like as a creative. I guess, I guess you're talking a little bit about just sen sensibilities yeah. and, and, you know, I, you know, a lot of that for me is unavoidable 
to, for the it's most part. Honest, it's honest, man. It's honest. There's death in here. There's breakups in here. You know, I, so, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, these are the things that I wanted to write about. You know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say like had to write about, but I, I don't know. There was nothing else for me to write about. That yeah. was the only thing that I, that, that was, um, that, that felt important at the moment. And I, as I shared these poems with people, you know, before the, the book was published or over the years, it seemed as though I, like most people reacted to them. They felt like maybe not, not every poem, but certainly I felt that there were people that could relate, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to some extent. And I guess, I, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to think, and maybe I'm, maybe it's a little too hard to, to get into it, but it's like, I think there's, there's still some humor in some of these poems, I think, uh, even sometimes at, at moments when they're so tense that they, they feel like they're going to break, there might be just these tiny little asides, these sort of nods, winks, you know, we're allowed to laugh at ourselves and, 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 and have fun even in moments of sort of. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what that is. It's some sort of magic trick that you do. Cause I wouldn't even necessarily categorize it as gallows humor because the impulse would be to call it that it is something else something else that you're doing here and it is attention release uh, attention release so it's hard it's yeah those those parts are, are really fun for me when i when i get to them in the writing because they those are definitely like surprises those are very much like m- making myself laugh yeah. giving giving myself some some relief if i'm in in sort of a, a dark place where where i'm writing where did uh, let's go back to where where you started like your earliest your earliest days. I remember being myself in elementary school and, you know, teachers encouraging us to write little short stories. And that was like uh, such a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, oh, writing is writing's really fun. And it was for me, it was fiction. Where do you start with and how do you get to where you are, where it's later in life and it's poetry and literary journals, etc.? I think my my writing was began as sort of a an offshoot of my interest in music i started learning to play play instruments when i was around 12 and 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 immediately composing my own songs like i was i had the tiniest little uh computer microphone recording into because i was always interested in, in recording specifically so i was recording into like the windows sound recorder app like you know pre any sort of digital audio workstation i was i was using kind of just the most basic uh things i was doing that when i was like 12 or 13 and so Excellent. you know with with writing songs comes lyrics and um sometimes or frequently like the the lyrics were coming faster than the than the chords or the music and once i sort of saw that i could do both think these things or, or separate them and enjoy them both both in their own space i think that's you know that's where poetry really starts yeah. and I think for a long time, I mean, I'm writing a lot of fiction now and, um, but for a long time, poetry seemed like the only thing I could, I felt it was like the only thing I could do or at least could do well, because I thought I sort of was under the, the, uh, misunderstanding that writing prose required some sort of longer, uh, attention span or, or, or something like that. And then I, I realized that it was just psyching myself out. <laughs> uh, tell us about your more about your musical side. I was actually literally just listening to a new song from from Glenn Court, and then talk about I guess more of that songwritery side of you, because oh, because yeah. it does there are moments of cadence to your poems too. You know, this isn't just abstracted E.E. E. Cummings stuff. You know, uh, one of my favorite lines, and I and I can 
see why you, you picked it. It's from the, the poem, The Visit. When it gets to the end, it does feel like a song. And that is the poem that bears the title Starving Romantic. So that feels like it got a beat to it. Anyway, talk about your musical side. And yeah. then even after that, we have another creative side. But tell me about your musical side. I find there's just something that comes from from writing and performing or recording music that doesn't come from com- composing poems or, or writing stories. And I think, you know, the benefit of music is is the immediacy of it. It's the ability to to share some something with someone in three minutes and them to to get it or not. Mm-hmm. But there's there's something. It's perhaps the most immediate sort of art form besides like uh, painting or like visual art, something that you can look at it just like that, have have a have a feeling or an idea. It also sounds like um, you, it sounds like you enjoy the arranging portion of it too. You talked about recording, yeah, or just the arranging. Yeah, I mean, uh, like Glenn Cord is like ostensibly a, a recording project. It's like we've never performed live. It's it's purely interested in building up songs. There's just two of us and we try as many different uh, arrangements and instrumentations as possible. Um, there's something really, I think in the same way that I, I go to a, a poem without like a specific agenda or idea about what I want to write necessarily. Um, it's fun to approach songs in that way um, where you don't have a particular um, instrumentation that that's required of the song. So you say, you know, so something that starts you, you play two chords on an acoustic guitar and then you sort of like go and you uh, well what would it sound like if i if i rearrange that to be an 808 you know what what would it be like if i turn this little piano line into uh you know a warbling synthesizer what if the drums got played in reverse you know all these things are you know with the advent of digital technology like you can experiment with these things and and that's sort of the most fun and then at the same time, I still try to keep that idea of audience in, in the back of my head. Not to say that, you know, I, I have the desire to make specific compromises to appeal to a larger group of people, but more so just like I doing art is is an aspect of communication. And like, I would like to, to communicate with people. Yeah, <laughs> beautifully put. You know, I also saw there are credits involving visual art, even scoring scoring videos as well. So you have your hands in a lot of creative pots here. Uh, you're stirring the pots. Your hands aren't in the pots. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be kind of uh, <laughs> unfortunate for yeah. whatever I was cooking inside pots. Yeah, that's a whole other side though, scoring, um, scoring stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've always had an interest in, in, in film and I don't know, there's just, I think for a lot of people that I know that do creative work, I mean, yourself, you, mm-hmm. you write and you, you are also uh, doing a podcast. Sure. You're involved in, in, in the music scene and sure. you're also uh, involved in a, the literary scene. They, these things all connect. I mean, it's, it's very rare that you meet someone who's, who's uh, a big fan of music but doesn't watch any movies. You know? Right. Um, this, is all, so, this is all that I do. I only write poems. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the idea of branching out and, and connecting with artists in different mediums is, is always really interesting to me. And it feels, it feels more fun. You know, I want to, I want to be a, a, a Renaissance man or, mm-hmm. or something, you know, I, you're almost the there, man. You're almost there. I want <laughs> those are the, the people I really admire, you know? Yeah. Um, Tell me about, let's go more on the fulfillment derived from creative networking, I guess now uh, just uh, bonding with a community of creatives. 
I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it's it's I don't know if it's still active, but just reading some of your history, I know that there was 51 West Warren Writers Group, and I know that you were the editor in chief of the Wayne Literary Review. And you know, that's if you're, I guess, moderating a writers group meeting, that's not actively creative, and yet uh, it's sort of stoking the uh, fires. And the same with being in an editorial role. Can you talk about being in those? roles where your hand might not be on the page, but you're guiding or helping maybe? Yeah. I mean, the the writers group is really just something that was founded by mostly alumni from Wayne State uh, interested in continuing their, their craft and, and working on it. And nothing's better than sitting around with a bunch of other writers and, and, and talking about writing and, and exchanging ideas and, and getting feedback. And with the literary review, it was uh, my first real opportunity to uh, look at like a, a vast swath of uh, other writing, and you know, it's it, that's an interesting experience working for a journal where you um, you know you have a limited number of, of pages and, and people you can publish, and you get a large number of submissions, and uh, you have to ostensibly like you know rank people's writing, which I guess goes back to to slam again because that is like right. that that's a competition to some extent, which is you know, has sort of its, its downsides in, in the arts, but there is sort of that competitive uh, aspect when it comes to publishing and and uh, and getting placed in journals. But I think that was just uh, a great opportunity to see, like, you know, it was a, a way to open up my writing ecosystem. Like as, as an undergraduate, you're exposed to um, the writing that your, your teachers, uh, your professors share with you, which is typically, you know, amazing stuff that, that blows your mind. Mm -hmm. And then you have your colleagues and and the people in your classes who you're sharing work with, who, you know, assumedly, you're kind of all relatively at the same level, right? Uh, Especially when you have a a lot of the same influences, because you're being taught by the same people (laughs) showing you the same stuff, which is fine. I mean, that's just how it goes. But then when you're exposed to writing by other working writers who have yet to publish, maybe like a book, but have been working at their craft for a long period of time, you realize, oh, there's that's that's sort of this middle ground. This that's sort of like we're not not middle ground in terms of, of quality, but just like, okay, so there's there's us, the student writers, there's these famous writers, and then there's everyone in between, which is ninety-nine percent of, you know, all writers. <laughs> and you realize, oh, that's if if I'm lucky, that's where I'll get to be. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I recently started a modest small writers group here from inside the library and we have some local ferndale writers here and someone in that group because we were peer reviewing peer editing and one someone in the group said that if i have it right editing is writing to an extent um i don't know if you'd ever heard that and i don't know if that resonates and makes sense with you and if you can explain what it means for you or if you could just tell me what you know what your misconceptions were possibly about what the role of an editor was before you went into it and and what they are now that you're through on the other end of it. Sure. I mean, the, the mistake that any, any per, like, you know, young writer, person who hasn't been doing it for, say, I, I don't know, five years, you know, like a, a while, um, makes the mistake of thinking things get are, are written and then they're done. I, yeah, obviously, 99% of all writing is, is revision. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think I'm fortunate because I, I love revision. It's fun. I, I have a, I have a great time doing it. Other people would much rather be uh, generating new new drafts. And like that's obviously very important. Um, but to me, the the working on something 
for a long period of time, uh, trying it every way, experimenting with it is like, is half the fun because I think the, the drafting part is very fun too, but it's like a, a fleeting sort of, a, it's a very fleeting fun. You, mm-hmm. you sit down, you draft something out and then good or bad, uh, you may not even be able to, to, to have a, to have an accurate view of it after you've, you've written it, you might have to put it away for a little bit. Then you come back and then you can really, to me, that's where the work gets started. You come back to it and, 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 and start honing it. You know, it's, it's a slab of marble and you're now, now, now you have your tool, ship it away. And then tell me about the, the latest, which is a, a chat book. And this is through, uh, ghost city press. This was through some summer series that they did. Just tell me about this, this new book and, and what inspired these poems, uh, uh travel yeah. for the dispossessed. Yeah. So travel for the dispossessed. It's interesting because it's a dozen pages or so, and it, the reaction to it's been been interesting. Um, to me, it's it's like it's ju- it's a single poem, but it can be read. I mean, it was specific. I wrote it to be read at, on, as individual pages. The poem is broken up in, in a specific sort of way, where each page I can think of as like a scene almost. And I think maybe that goes back to the sort of cinematic uh, lexicon that that sure, you were absolutely. Uh, bringing out earlier. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's certainly, um, part of it. I did for this, I definitely had a, had a sort of cinematic scope for it in the sense of these washed out burnt orange hues of, of the desert, you know, the, the poems tracks, a, a journey from vaguely like Las Vegas, uh, to Detroit with a nonlinear pathway while exploring ideas about a relationship about guilt or responsibility Mm -hmm. there's also this superimposed i guess on on this sort of interpersonal language is a a map of american empire of manifest destiny and the sort of decaying infrastructure that yeah has, has sort of burdened the country so there's there's sort of a lot going oh, on. Oh, yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, your your words and your thoughts and your reflections are compelling and beautiful, but you're also thinking about Las, between Las Vegas and Detroit is, it feels like no man's land. It isn't New York and it isn't LA. It's flyover country. It's formerly native land country. It, it feels like it's a haunted little, haunted little vortex, you know, of the country. So... Yeah, I think that that's that's pretty key. I guess there's certainly like a, a haunted sort of uh, feeling to to these to to this poem, and and that that idea of of dispossessed. I said obviously this is formerly formerly occupied by by Native Americans, but like when you 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 just got me thinking of of how many people have filtered through every single space of landscape, whether it is a city or not, and. Oh man, all this existentialism and impermanence—you <laughs> weave it together so well. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's sort it's you know once once it gets started, it becomes uh, sort of impossible not to to dive down yeah. these rabbit holes. Um, I think for me, a, a a clear sort of goal of this poem, which is often but not always sort of dominated by a first-person voice mm-hmm. uh, of an eye, sort of moving or reflecting. Was to also do something similar to the to to the starving romantic poems of, of sort of the ethereal voice of sort of 
the lens of the camera sort of sweeping over at certain points. I guess that imagistic quality to me is very much the idea of the omniscient camera operator uh, looking over. Well, Vincent, this has been a pleasure to talk to you and, and to just pick your brain about about all the writing that you've done in your life. Uh, I, I feel compelled to to end with just a query of, of whether or not you have any any advice out there that you like to give other writers. Um, you know, the whole the draft is not the end of it. The revision that's important to remember. Are there are there any other things you like to tell yourself? Any other things you like to tell others about writing or just about I mean, creativity? Well, yeah, well, I mean, well, what I tell others uh, is something that I, I understood and didn't understand for a long time is like um, connect with people, talk, talk to people, talk to everyone, go up to go to as many readings as you can, go up to the people at the readings, talk to them. Everyone appreciates it. Everyone loves it. And most people are incredibly uh, generous with their with their time and, and, and things like that. Come see me. Uh, I'm at uh, I'm at Book Suey, which is uh, a, a a co-op bookstore collectively owned in Hamtramck. Um, we do a lot of fun literary events. Right at the intersection of Kniff and Joseph Campo. Yeah, Kniff um, no longer under construction, which is good. Yeah, you can you can finally you can get to it. it. It's uh, but watch out for the new Hamtramck parking meters. <laughs> they are uh, they're despicable. Um, but no, really, like it, to me, like having a community and connecting with people is like, it's so important as much as writing um, and a lot of creative work is, is a solitary act. It's for the greater purpose of human connection. So uh, don't hesitate to, to, to make those connections. Right. Well, we mentioned starving romantic travelogue for the dispossessed. Uh, we'll link to ghostcitypress.com. We'll link to Vincent James And thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Jeff. And that was our chat with Vincent James Brown, local writer, poet, musician, and we'll have links to more information about Starving Romantic and 1111 Press and Travelogue for the Dispossessed and just really enjoying uh, every opportunity to continue to celebrate all the great literary talent that is residing right here right here in our little contained wonderful universe of southeast michigan and it was very great to chat with vincent james perone and we appreciate you listening to yet another episode of a little too quiet this is the ferndale library podcast it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library and the music that you hear coming in and out of these episodes is by a local musician known as Zunset. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to ferndalefriends.org for more info. Or you could just like it or leave a comment, you know, give a five-star review, uh, follow us, uh, subscribe to us. I don't know if it's follow or subscribe these days, whatever it is. Maybe you could just tell a friend about it. Or if you enjoyed this chat, you could share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks again for listening. 